welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today, we have Sensei with us. Thank you for being here, sir. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Attendees at the moment, we have Amy and Brian and Chris and, and Craig. Good to have everyone. Today, now, if you notice, we have not been posting as many podcasts as we usually do. Reason for that, if you're new to the program, uh, I'd suggest going back and listen to all of our back episodes. I think we're up to 180, 90 episodes, something in there, or maybe even more than that. Go back and listen to those. Uh, we took a step back from recording. We're still doing meetings on other days other than the first Thursday of the month. We had some people that uh, wanted to have a more, uh, more, more like a real AA meeting, more like a real recovery meeting where we talk about the Tao Te Ching and how it relates. And so every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, and all the other Thursdays at 4 p.m., other than the first Thursday, we're going to have an unrecorded meeting for the moment. We did that for the month of November, and it went well. We'll see if it does well for December and go from there. I know more so the Tuesday night meeting has gotten new people that are coming that could not come otherwise because it's in. now we have a meeting in the evening, which has been good. So good meetings on Tuesday night. We'll just see what happens after the first of the year, but you guys are welcome. The link is com, and that will take you to the the Zoom link. You have to be logged into your Zoom account, your free Zoom account for authentication, so we don't have a password. But you're welcome there uh, anytime. 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday and 4 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. Okay, the 26th verse of the Tao Te Ching. Uh, I'll go ahead and read Stephen Mitchell, and then if you guys want to read another another translation, you're welcome to. The heavy is the root of the light. The unmoved is the source of all movement. Thus, the master travels all day without leaving home. However splendid the view, she stays serenely in herself. Why should the Lord of the country flit about like a fool? If you let yourself be blown to and fro, you lose touch with your root. If you let restlessness move you, you lose touch with who you are. Uh, We had entitled this before Living Undisturbed was our title that we had used. Some of the other translations say some things a little different. I really like the star translation, too. Uh, anyone want to read one of the others that speaks to them off uh, out of our normal source or any other source that you guys? How about the clear English, Brian, the new translation you have? is that How does that one interpret this? It says, uh, let's see, we're at 26. It says, uh, heavy is the source of light. Stillness is the master of impatience. So the sage travels all day and never leaves his supply wagon. Despite glorious sights, the sage lives apart. This is how he transcends them. 
How can the master of 10,000 chariots act lightly in public? Act lightly, act lightly, lose the source, act with haste, lose the throne. Okay. Thank you. Who did that one, Brian? Who's Jeff Pepper? It's the Dowdy Ching in plain English. Yeah. Sensei, you want to read the star? Or which one did you want to read? Yeah, let me read let me read the um Wayne Dyer first. Okay. Because it's very similar to the one that you read. The heavy is the root of the light, the still is the master of unrest. Realizing this, the successful person is poised and centered in the midst of all activities. Although surrounded by opulence, he is not swayed. Why should the lord of the country flit about like a fool? If you let yourself be blown to and fro, you lose touch with your root. To be restless is to lose one's self-mastery. So it reminds me a little bit of uh, both rest and unrest come from illusion, but with enlightenment there is no liking or disliking, is a line from a Chan poem that is similar. And then the star, this particular verse, is very accessible and mercifully brief. <laughs> the inner, and this is slightly different, the uh, in, in, in a way that I think is important, the inner is foundation of the outer. So instead of the heavy is the root of the light. So it's it's comparing and contrasting another binary. The inner is foundation of the outer. The still is master of the restless. The sage travels all day, yet never leaves his inner treasure. Though the views are captivating and beg attention, he remains calm and un uninvolved. Tell me, does the lord of a great empire go out begging for rice? One who seeks his treasure in the outer world is cut off from his own roots. Without roots, he becomes restless. Being restless, his mind is weak. And with a mind such as this, he loses all command below heaven. So I'm prepared to comment on that at some point, but we may have some others who want to read. Anyone want to read? or? Um, of course I want to read Ron Hogan's. To be light on your feet, you need a steady mind. If your body is active, your mind should be relaxed. A master can travel long distances and still see everything she owns. She may be surrounded by beauty, but she isn't caught up in it. Why run around thoughtlessly? If you act lightly, you lose your bearings. If you act recklessly, you lose your self-control. Thank you, Amy. <clears throat> now, he kind of puts everything in modern idiom, doesn't he? <clears throat> Sensei, you want to comment, sir? Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot here to unpack, but I, as I said, I think it's one of the briefer ones and more accessible, kind of Zen-related. Zen so the inner is foundation of the outer. The still is master of the restless. From a Zen perspective, Hakuins in the 18th century said there is no inner and outer. So even something like the, the polarity or the dyad of inner and outer is, is challenged in Zen. In fact, the realization of non-separation of self and other, etc., mind and object, this is one of the central focuses of Zen. So when this one says the inner is the foundation of the outer, that would be a little 
dualistic for Zen. We would, we would probably counter by saying the outer is the foundation of the inner. So the two would be mutually, mutually defining, just as subject and object are mutually defining. And uh, Dogen has a phrase where he says, in stillness, this, the emphasis on stillness here is very Zen. Um, people think of Zen as quietism, but it's not at all quiet. But it is reaching a deeper stillness in your meditation, uh, recognizing and moving toward deeper and deeper stillness. So Dogen said, in stillness, mind and object merge in realization and go beyond enlightenment. So stillness is key in Zen. And the still, the stillness here is the matter of the restless. Both rest and unrest come from delusion, but with enlightenment there is no liking or disliking. Um, the inner and outer are conventions. Uh, we think of ourselves looking out of our head, and the outer objects, the outer world are out here. Uh, but many, many poems and teachings in Zen kind of challenge this by saying, um, although, this is from Precious Mira Samadhi, although it is not constructed, it being capital I-T, meaning what you're, what you're after here, the realization or insight that you're after, although it is not constructed, in other words, language, everything that, concepts, everything that we have other than this basic reality, are constructions that are reflecting reality or trying to capture reality. But the reality itself cannot be constructed, is not a construction. So uh, this is Tozan who founded Soto Zen in China. He said, although around 800, around 800 in China, he said, although it is not constructed, it is not beyond words. Like facing a precious mirror, form and reflection behold each other. You are not it, but in truth, it is you. So it's turning, turning the 180 degrees around. Not only am I, in one sense, yes, I am in here looking out. But in another sense, this is all looking back at me. This is all mine. This is also mine. So the non-separation of subject and object is something which we think is subject to experience, but it's not subject to explaining. It cannot be caught in words. So I think that we challenge right away. The inner is the foundation of the outer is a little too one-sided. The inner and the outer define each other. And it's a relative or conventional definition. On an absolute level, there, as Hakuin says, there is no inner and outer, actually. Now, since say the, in the star, the still is the master of the restless. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, that's that, the second that reminds one. me of Zazen. That reminds me of meditation. Yes, stillness. Yeah. Stillness is um, we fix the gaze, we sit very still, the breathing slows down, everything becomes more and more still. And it's uh, thought to be a natural process in which there's a turning point at which when you become still enough, if you sit still enough for long enough, as I like to say, this will become clear to you the revelations of Zen and Taoism are all accessible to us through our own direct experience. This is the thesis in Zen. 
much more so than than trying to capture them in words or trying to understand in words. Uh, the the Tao puts it: the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. Right. And then and the sage, go ahead. Category, uh, we were our uh, the book we're reading. He he talks about it. That is the pivot of nothingness. That yeah. that pivot that we're going to this formlessness, emptiness. This that's where we that. That's what the finger's pointing at, I think, you know, is, is that oneness that you were talking about. Pivot is used in a lot of different ways. Um, this 180 degree turnaround in your consciousness where instead of chasing after it, you sit back and let it come to you as an attitudinal thing. Then the human birth is known as the pivot. In Japanese, the word is yoki, yoki, Y-O-K-I. The uh, essential part of any machine, or like a bicycle, it's the sprocket and the chain, otherwise the bicycle won't go. That's called the yoki. So the human birth is the essential pivot point for uh, awakening, according to Buddhism. Kids, chick, you know, chickens, dogs, cats, and cows, not, <laughs> not, so, not very probable. You have to be born as a human being. So do not waste your time meaninglessly. This is an opportunity to wake up. So being born as a human being is the pivot, the yoki for awakening and so on. This next verse, the sage travels all day yet never leaves his inner treasure. So um, when we sit on the cushion in meditation, we think that's meditation. And then when we get up and walk away, we think that's not meditation. But uh, when my son was very young, he was like three or four years old. He, we had to leave early in the morning to go somewhere, and he jumped. He got in the back of the car, and we drove away. And he's looking out the window, and, he said, and it was full moon. And he said, "Oh, the moon comes with us." You know, the, if when you travel in the car, it's like the moon is coming with you. So it's the same thing in meditation. Whatever happens on the cushion goes with you when you leave the cushion. Amy, I didn't see your hand. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's okay. I just, I, w I definitely wanted to comment on that. Um, okay. Never leaves his inner treasure. Um, and, and I want to relate it to um, recovery because I, I didn't realize before I got sober that I was, um, I was, I was running from me. I was trying to run away. I was making geographic, you know, what we know as geographics. And I was, Okay, if I can just find the right city, I can, I'll be right. sober and I'll stop doing the dumb things that I'm doing and taking right. off, drinking all of that stuff. And so it wasn't until, um, I got into sobriety and started working a, a program of recovery that I realized wherever I go, there I am. Um, and I always take me with me. Um, now, before I was trying to run from myself, now I'm really quite, I, I really like me now. And so I'm really, <laughs> and I don't want that to sound egotistical, but like, you know, because I practice principles, I, I'm kind, try to be to the best of my ability. Obviously, I, I'm a human being yep. as well. Yep. Yep. But so it's really interesting that, and and I travel quite a bit. I'm I'm traveling even more now than I ever have. And it's really comforting to know that wherever I go, there I am. Because I am really who I am and trying to be the best, true, authentic version of myself. And that's a really nice, kind person. Um, it is. Yep. Not trying to, to run from me. 
So that that just was really what struck me with that little section there. Is that one of Andrew Dietz's little black and white uh, priest back statues back there on your shelf? Probably, probably um, not. If you're talking about that in the that statue on top, of Buddy, I thought Buddy might have gotten one of those for you. Oh no! On top of those tanks are just lights, but um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't have that. That's, that's okay. That's okay. You have, you have the one same of guy who wrote this. Rose yeah. does those little yeah. carvings of, of black and white priests and nuns. Yeah. <laughs> so you see your. But Sensei, there's your. your uh, yeah, that's the moon. Yeah. Yeah, the that's moon. The, Speaking the, of the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Enlightenment is like the moon reflected in the water. Yes, yes. The moon does not get wet and the water is not broken. I think that's hilarious. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it shows you. Yeah. So what you say there, I think, is critical. And it goes back to what we we're talking about separation of subject and object mind and object disappear in stillness. So we come to a kind of wholeness or a kind of, uh, you know, the, the bifurcation of self and other is something we learn as we grow up in the crib and we come out of the crib. Then we start to segment, separate ourselves out from everything else. It's called individuation in psychology. So then it's the source of, uh, it's con considered a category error in Buddhism. You're learning one side of the truth. You're differentiating yourself from everything else, and you're creating a division between yourself and other. And that leads to alienation. That leads to anxiety. It leads to a lot of things. So the process that we go through, which is, again, a natural process in sitting in meditation, is all that comes back together. So it's kind of like a regression back to childhood where you become more whole and uh but the point we make is that relationship, that fundamental relationship of self to other, not self to others, plural, which would be like, come by, can't we all get along? It's more like Bodhidharma sitting in the cave by himself had the separation of self and other. That fundamental bifurcation is what we overcome in Zen. And once you do, and you're okay, you're comfortable in your own skin, you're happy without other people without another relationship, if necessary, you're happy to live alone in a cave, but as a nun or a monk, then you now have something to offer a relationship other than simple need that you need this other person, which always corrupts a relationship. So from a psychological perspective, what you've gone through in recovery is really the same process and target of Zen practice is to get over yourself, basically, and get, you know, get to where you can be okay and have something to offer others. So since now I, you're likable to everybody. Everybody likes Amy now. Uh, since I had a, you're lately talking about the, the oneness, I've realized if I look at the moment as a picture rather than uh, different in a different way, it helps me because, you know, the picture is the picture. It's not me and them or this and that. It's just a picture. Yeah. So yeah. looking at every moment as the picture of the moment helps is helping me to, uh, to let some of those uh, differences go. Yep. And by picture, you mean more like a five-dimensional picture. It's yes. In, in the round, so to speak. Like a film strip. You've got one image after another, yep. after another, after yep. another, after another. 
And I'm looking, each of the moments is one of those images. And so it's right. not me and them, it's the image. It's, all, it's yeah. everything, all yeah. of the universe and creation and everything in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And that's really a, kind of a personal relativity where space-time comes together for you. And you know, you see that the um, persistence of vision from, from image to image that creates the animation and creates the continuity, the appearance of continuity, um, it's like a suspension of disbelief in a, in a movie theater it, where you, you suspend disbelief and so you sort of assimilate into the story and you can enjoy the plot. You can enjoy the story uh, vicariously. You can look around and see that people are munching popcorn next to you and it sort of brings you out of that reality back into this. So Buddhism is also like that, I think, and what Taoism is pointing at. Yes, it's like a movie. But on the other hand, it's really not like a movie. You know, it's it's sort of moving in the same way and has a continuity. And I'm the star of my movie and you're the star of yours. <laughs> but, you know, the wake up call is actually it's temporary. It's not it's not it, well, like a movie, it'll be over. <laughs> then we go get popcorn. Uh, since say the, the next line there it talks about it says it different ways, but the star says. Does the Lord of the great of a great empire go out begging for rice? Is the way yeah, Star yeah. says it. They all say the same thing. Uh, why should the Lord of the country flit about like a fool? You know that whole right, right. So if you if you assume that he's talking about you and you are the Lord of your own country, just as you are the star of your own movie, and you are happy with what you have, why would you be pursuing something else? You know, why would you be chasing after rice or popcorn or whatever? Um, you would be content within yourself, you know, within reason, as long as you're not starving to death and, and so forth. So the Lord of the country here, it, it says here, how does the Lord of a great empire go out? Uh, does the Lord go out begging for rice? No, because they have access to all the rice they need. We already have everything we need, actually. So uh, the sage travels all day and it, it never leaves his inner treasure. So what it is, whatever it is that we discover through this process has always been with us. We've never been without it, but we have lost track of that. And so we think something is missing. And we go through life with a feeling of something missing. We don't know what it is, but we feel for sure it's missing. Then we come to Taoism, we come to Zen to find it. But it's, the metaphor in uh, Buddhism is called the Mani Jewel, M-A-N-I, Mani Jewel. It's a wish-fulfilling jewel that has the power to grant you any wish you want. And so that's, that's conceived of as the what you're after. You're looking for this thing that is going to fill that void. Uh, you're going to be happy now. And so it's called the Mani Jewel, the wish-fulfilling jewel. So the metaphor is that uh, the monk or the nun or the child uh, gets uh, estranged from his parents and leaves the castle and goes on a quest. And after many years, comes back and uh, his father recognizes him as a beggar and brings him into the into the household and eventually takes over everything. So the mani jewel is conceived of as already sewn into the hem of your robe. And you're looking for it 
looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for it everywhere else. As my grandmother would always say, one thing is sure, you'll find it in the last place you look. <laughs> so <laughs> the last place we look is always at home, right? It's it's already sewn into our robe. Yeah. Since I, uh, Amy's got a question. Yeah, not really a question, just another comment. I, and I missed you guys. I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. So anyway, um, the, um, I just noticed McDonald's translation on that, um, the, the Lord of Great Empire. Okay, go out back and forth. Anyway, it says, um, watch the Lord of a thousand chariots. Be amused at the foolishness of the world. If you abandon yourself to foolishness, you lose touch with your beginnings. If you let yourself become distracted, you will lose the basis of your power. That goes back to what, um, Sensei, you were saying about childlike faith. So much of, and bringing it back to recovery, of course, um, children, um, children just, just trust that they're going to be fed and clothed. They just know that their yep. needs are going to, they just have faith. Yep. They have, and then I go, I'm going to go back to the big book. Here we go. Page 55. Actually, we were fooling ourselves from deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. So as, as a child, as I grew up and I, all of these worldly things become, got piled on me, drinking, drugging, all of those things. In addition to the other things, then um, it kind of um, put the light out. You know, it kind of smothered the yeah. light that was inside. Yeah. And so now, uncover, discover, discard. Get rid of all the things that aren't serving my inner light well. Get back to that childlike faith. That's good stuff. Yeah, the reason we turn to drugs and drink, well, there are many reasons, but some of the reasons are that we have forgotten and, you know, mindfulness is, is a lot remembering. And, uh, when we sit in meditation or, or practice Taoism, and there's many, many routes to, to this. We think meditation is the most direct and quick, quickest, the most effective. But when it starts to dawn on us that what we're looking for, we already have, um, we no longer are running away from something that we think we don't have, or we're no longer looking for something we think we don't have. And a, a child who is abused and, and, and has a dissociative experience uh, where they, they create another identity to take the abuse, and they sort of protect another identity, so, you know, multiple identities, it's considered a disorder, I think is an example of this, where um, in the real world, nothing is actually wrong. But when other human beings mistreat and abuse us, then that creates trauma in our world. And if you look at Putin bombing Ukraine, you know, uh, you can't deny that there's a big problem there. I mean, but all of the trouble in the world you can see is being created by human beings and it's being created out of their ignorance. Putin also is suffering. He's looking for something to you know, that he thinks is missing from his life. I mean, you can't forgive him. I mean, it doesn't mean, I mean, it's okay, but 
that if you look at the world and you look at the suffering in the world, it's all caused by ignorance, mostly by human beings. Uh, Sensei, it's interesting to me that, you know, one of the first things I heard when I started looking at, at Zen and studying with the Monday Night Book Club, uh, I heard the statement that all these paths start looking more and more similar as you get up the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> They all start looking the same the further up you get. Well, the, was, the mountain is getting narrower, so yes. they all have to come together. <laughs> and I have a Course in Miracles study group, and they say the same. They use verbiage that's difficult for me and sounds divisive. But yet, in reality, what they're saying is we're all already one and together. They say in heaven, but it doesn't matter. You know, yep. they're, they're saying the same thing that you're saying today, that we're all yep. saying. Yep. Um, the difference, in, the difference in Zen, I think, is the method. And the only thing we really consider that we are transmitting is the method. Mm. It's like yeah. music. You can teach somebody to play piano the method, but you can't teach them music. And so Zen has settled on this one thing, this sitting meditation, as Soto Zen is. This is the most uh, direct, effective way. This is what Buddha did. This is what, you know. So in... Uh, they have this uh, concept of Johnny One Note. You may have heard this joke. And the guy just plays one note all the time on his guitar or whatever. And people ask him about it, and he says, everybody else is looking for this note. I found it. <laughs> you know, it reminds me, too, I wish Dennis was here to tell his little story um, where what they had, uh, the wisdom, uh, I think it was uh, that talking about enlightenment, you could say, and they decided that the God said they were going to uh, hide this somewhere. And they said, well, where can we hide it from from everyone? And they said, well, uh, we can put it at the bottom of the ocean. They said, no, they would figure out a way to get down and get it. Or we could put it on a high mountain. And they said, well, they'd find that. And they said, hey, why don't we put it inside them? And they'll never look there. Yeah, yeah. Hidden in plain sight. Yes. Actually. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, what else with this, guys? Um, uh, Sensei, do you have any other comments? Yeah, with this? a couple of things um, yeah. where um, we would differ from. This is instruction for you to take action and for you to develop attitude adjustment, right? That's what a lot of the Taoist instruction is. And Buddhist teachings fall into camps like that. One you could say is a a prescription for practice, like the Eightfold Path and like Zen meditation. And others you could say are descriptions of reality. And sometimes they're woven together where it's hard to separate the prescription for, for practice from the description of reality from an enlightened viewpoint. So... Um, and a lot of this has to do with transliteration, translation into different languages. So we don't criticize anybody for this, but um, we have a lot of Zen teachers who, when you're, they talk uh, about when you're sitting in meditation, notice this and notice that and notice this and notice that. And I've told a couple of our students, I say, you, you want, you probably want to drop that term because it's a little demeaning. Everybody sitting in meditation is already noticing all kinds of crap. You know, you don't have to tell them what to notice. You don't have to lean them by the nose. But um, so it's easy for us to fall into that kind of pedagogy, that kind of instructional pedagogy. So um, 
where he says one who, uh, and, and this is interesting because he's telling parables and he's having you look at stories and do you see yourself in this picture or in this fable? And if you do, you know, word to the wise, the one who seeks his treasure in the outer world is cut off from his own roots. Without roots, he becomes restless, being restless, the mind is weak. The mind such as this loses all command below heaven. So we would say in Zen that you actually are never cut off from your own roots. It's impossible. The only possibility is that you can misinterpret that and you can think that you're cut off from your own roots. So you can put a barrier between yourself and your own awareness of insight uh, unintentionally. And that's one form of ignorance where we we insist upon and believe something which is not necessarily true nor necessarily helpful. Uh, and it's, instead of being able to jettison that and penetrate to the truth, we insist on that belief. So uh, they're just, these are like semantics, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a criticism. But we would, we would say that it's a comforting thing to know or to feel or to believe or trust that whatever our meditation, our Taoist practice is going to reveal to us is already true. It can't reveal anything that is not already true. And so that enhances what Amy was talking about, the kind of trust and confidence you can feel that, well, you know, I may screw up again, but at base, underneath, the truth is the truth. And that's what I'm penetrating to find. Sensei, I've got a, I've got, Amy, I've got a big book quote too. Big book. I was just thinking about this the other day. And the second step came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I think, I, I realized that the, the insane thinking was a problem. The insanity is thinking that, uh, I am separate. It's, it's, it's that I'm no longer uh, aware of my roots. That's, that's the issue. And that's what coming back, the childish, uh, taking life as a child and a child doesn't try to think and figure everything out that I try to think and figure out, you know, I want to, I want to know everything and how it works. And I mean, it almost killed me when I came into recovery, five years of in and out almost killed me. Uh, And that's what we see with all these uh, shooters and people who cut themselves and so forth. They're, they've, they've, they've become alienated from their, birthright yeah you know and, and they've uh, had to learn that it's mm-hmm. it's an it's an error it's a mistake but you know they believe it you know then that's that comes back to the phrase uh uh one seeking knowledge learns something every day one seeking wisdom like heart wisdom unlearns something every day yeah we're unlearning we're unlearning we're um, unlearning the baggage that we carry you know, cultural baggage, personal baggage, family, family stuff, you know, uh, that may not be all that productive. <laughs> yeah. And, hey, since uh, I, I got a, um, I was meditating the other day and I've used a mantra forever to kind of bring me in, which is, uh, the Hebrew word Hanini, which is I am here. Zamini. Hanini. H E. Yeah. It means I am here. It's what Moses said when he saw the burning bush. He said, I am here. Hanini, Hanini, Hanini. Yeah. Of course, my train, my, my, my uh, 
<laughs> my verbalization of that, I'm sure, is 100% correct. Yeah. Uh, but I am here. And I was sitting, I've used it for years when I've, you know, when, I've, yeah. I'm, when I'm just starting, you know. And then all of a sudden, I thought, why don't I use that when I'm not on the mat? So riding down the road, I would use the I am here. I am here, you know. And, yeah. and it really helped me to bring it off of the mat to uh, uh, to every day like we're, you know, like what happens for us. So uh, that was really strong for me, yeah. helped me to do yeah. that. The other uh, languages in which that can happen are posture, motor muscle memory, breathing, uh, body sensation, hearing, listening, uh, and paying uh, uh complete attention to seeing the senses, in other words. So what we do in design training, you go through a process of what is called sensory training, where you work with materials and and so forth and learn how wood behaves, concrete, paint, et cetera, et cetera, with no particular object in mind, but you, you develop a vocabulary of how all these media work. When we come to Taoism and Zen, we're, the medium that we're working with is consciousness itself. And so we have to go through a similar immersive process of just immer immersing, immersing, immersing ourselves in consciousness itself. And it's fortunately, it's, it's, it's divided up into seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, and so forth, the sen senses. So we can pay attention to hearing and we can pay deeper attention to hearing. Even if you're driving, you have to be careful because you can kind of zone out if you're on the expressway, you know. We can pay uh, more attention to, to breathing. And as you're saying, you can remind yourself, I am here. And that's, that is a, um, that's like a mantra, a mantram in, uh, in words. So language doesn't have to be a problem. Thinking doesn't have to be a problem. It can actually be a contributor. Uh, Sensei, any other uh, comments on this verse or any questions or, or comments from anyone else? It's got a lot in it, but it's, it's yeah. very pretty uh, Chris? One of the things that uh, I've been thinking about during this discussion is, um, is the courage part of the serenity prayer. Um, and then also with with regards to lying to yourself, that's one of the things that, um, that I encounter in meditation a lot is, is, is discovering that I've been lying to myself and, um, I need the courage to know what to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, some comments about that would be really great. Yeah. Well, again, Zen offers. I think some viewpoints that relieve you of that burden to some extent. It's not like uh, Jimmy Carter lusting in the heart, you know, is the same as and so forth. It's more like um, um, in in the sense of lying to yourself. Like we have precepts, we say uh, a firm life, do not kill. Or some sometimes especially, I take up the way of not killing. Understanding that it's impossible, you know, in, in a literal sense. Um, manifest truth. Do not speak falsely. So it says, okay, you can manifest truth, but you cannot really speak the truth. 
you certainly cannot speak the whole truth because mm -hmm. language is language itself is dualistic. And so if you translate lying into thinking or conceptualizing in design, we think we don't think only in words. We think sometimes in concepts, sometimes in images. In music, we think in sound. So there are many, many languages in which we can think other than just words. So when you take the concept of lying, you have to say, how many ways can I lie to myself? And or to you know, you have to lie to yourself in order to lie to others. Mm -hmm. is, a, is a kind of a social premise uh, in Buddhism as well as, as elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But uh, Buddha takes the point of view that the way we are interpreting our direct sense data coming into our mind is already distorted. So it's already a lie. Our, our understanding, our grasp of reality is false. And so it goes to a much prim more primordial level to say, I have to examine seeing, I have to examine hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and, and then maybe thinking, which is much more complicated, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And we, if we sit still enough, long enough, a kind of reverse sensory habituation sets in place, where just as you adapt to the weight of your clothes, you don't feel the weight of your clothes. Unless, if I mention it, you might move around and feel it again, but you've adapted. In the same sense, sitting still enough, long enough, a kind of profound sensory ad adaptation sets into place, where the power of your senses over you to be distracting and to be compelling, to be seductive, you know, the pleasures of seeing pretty things, the pleasures of hearing pretty music, tasting wonderful food, etc., body sensations, sex, sexual pleasure, all the kinds of comforts and so forth that the body craves are seen to come from being incarnated as this body. Repentance in uh, refuges in uh, Buddhism say, uh, all my past and harmful karma born from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, the three poisons, uh, through body, mouth, and mind, I now fully avow, I, I admit, I fess up. So through body, mouth, and mind means these come with the territory. So simply being a human being means that you're subject to all of this kind of conflict and desire, and it leads to compulsive behavior such as alcoholism, drugs, and, and etc., and, and lust for power, wealth. You know, uh, al alcohol is not the worst addictive substance. There are some much worse, and we see it all the time on television, and the behavior of politicians and, and so forth. Putin, you know, uh, he may be completely sober. He may consider himself a Christian, but look at what he's doing. So Buddhism takes a much more expansive look at this and says that the very senses themselves are addictive. Buddha pointed out that where the stimulus of sunlight, say, daylight, hits the eye, the retina, where sound hits the ear, where the temperature of the room hits the skin, the body, the gravity, the pressure, where the stimulus encounters the sense at that interchange, at that interface, that is stress. So we don't make stress up. It's built in. And um, we don't make these addictions up. They're built in. 
it is a question of whether we can manage them or not, or whether we give in to them or not. Does that answer your question, Chris? That's very good. Thank you. Yeah. Amy, you have something, ma'am? Yeah, I just, I'm mindful of the time. I'd like to read um, your verse 26 out of Powerless But Not Helpless, buddy. Is that, is that okay? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, how to live undisturbed. Compassion makes life easy. Surrender is the master of the restless. Therefore, those living sober can participate in the activities of the world undisturbed and without fear. They can enjoy many material goods, yet stay unattached. As long as compassion and surrender continue, all of this is possible. Surrender. I like the use of surrender there. We, we consider the posture in, in Zen to be one of surrender. If you sit with your legs crossed, you can't run, you can't fight, you know. So it's surrender. We surrender. We give up. That's the first three steps and say is is making us because it's making me because I don't want to. I was never taught surrender. You know, I was taught the opposite. Work harder and do better. Double down, you know, not surrender yep. under any circumstances. You know, but if you, if you look fight. at the if you look at the martial arts, it gives you a little clue. The um, the uh, bending like a willow, you know, the uh, jujitsu, uh, tai chi, I think as well. You you surrender to the thrust of energy of your opponent. You don't resist it. You go you you use it. In fact, you bring it into your power. So the surrender in Zen is a little more like that. It's it's a posture of surrender and it's an attitude of surrender. But that's the only true strength. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thank you, sir. Any other closing comments, guys? That, com that comes from Taoism. Taoism is like that. The willow tree, you know, bending. A tree that doesn't bend will be broken, but the willow tree is not going to be broken. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, it's been a great conversation today. Thank you so much. And thank you, Sensei. We appreciate you, sir. This is Sushi, the cat. There's my Zen cat. Sushi. Sushi. I had sushi for dinner. Not that. She looks sushi. like she looks like a little bit like Yellowtail. She's colored like Yellowtail a little bit. So we call her Sushi. Say my mouth is watering looking at your cat. That's not <laughs> that's, uh... I had a really weird dream that I was talking to a cat and it was talking to me in English. And it was saying uh, it could occupy a human being that she she called him her ghosts, and she would go shopping at the store and, and occupying a, a human woman. He said, and she said, "My ghosts are always beautiful." <laughs> uh, I know I don't make this stuff up, so dreams come from somewhere else. You <laughs> said that wasn't back in your LSD days, since I, that wasn't back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That was way too long ago. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Well, uh, if there's nothing else, y'all have a great week. And uh, we will see y'all in a meeting soon, I hope. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars, Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.